0: Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripods Blogs community at Tripods.com. Jerry's Place for Canine Amputees and their people. Hello and thank you for listening to Tripod Talk Radio. Today we are having a conversation with Dr. Alex Avery, a veterinary surgeon and founder of one of the Internet's best pet health resources, OurPetsHealth.com. Through fun videos, blogs, and photographs, Dr. Alex is dedicated to enriching the lives of pets by empowering pet parents with accurate, Helpful information about preventative health care, illness, and other situations faced by pets. Dr. Alex graduated from vet school at the University of Bristol in the UK in 2006 and has since helped companion animals everywhere live healthier lives in both the UK and New Zealand, where he is currently practicing. Please stay tuned for a fascinating chat with Dr. Alex about topics near and dear to every member of the Tripods community, including boosting appetite after surgery, proper pain management, understanding pet health supplements, and more. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get started. Welcome to Tripod Talk, Dr. Avery.
1: Well, Thanks so much for that amazing intro. It's um, great to be invited, and I'm looking forward to yeah our
2: discussion today. Dr. Alex, hi, it's Renee here. It is so nice to finally meet you. Um, I have been a fan of your website for quite some time now. I've been following your very active presence on social media, and I just want to say thank you. You are doing so much to educate pet parents like us. I just, I don't know how you find the time to do it. You have a great website.
1: Uh, yeah, it definitely takes a lot of work, as you'll be well aware. And you know, I think the more websites, you know, like Tripods and and mine that are out there, kind of providing great information, the you know, the better the health of our pets can be. So yeah, no, it's great that people are enjoying us.
2: Thank you. It, it's it's an honor to hear you say that because um, we are all about accurate information and um, putting on a stop to a lot of the. Um, not so accurate information that gets spread around the internet. And that's, that's one reason um, why your website caught your website caught my eye. Just the information you provide is excellent. It's easy to digest. It's it's really great. Um, So I, I first, you know, I, I was drawn to your website because here's this vet in New Zealand and he's telling people around the world what we all need to hear about our dogs and cats. And, Um, I would just love to uh, get your perspective on animal amputees in New Zealand and the U.K. because, um, as you know, most of Tripod's audience, let's say the good majority are uh, members who are based in the States, but we have a growing number of people from other countries, and we're learning all the time from vets like you. So can you just share with us your your experience that you've had with, with Tripod's in the countries where you've worked?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I guess to start with, I've actually had um, my own tripod as well, with Stella, um, who was a wee little kitten. We ended up adopting, who was brought into the clinic, and she had some Aww. really serious injuries in her her front leg. So I'm kind of aware of some of the issues, you know, both from an owner's perspective, um, as well as from a vet's perspective. Um, and I guess a lot of the the problems that that develop that result in amputation, I mean, they're going to be the same, the same the world over. Um, and I wouldn't say it was a common thing, but it's definitely something that we see you know on a reasonably regular basis. Uh, the big reasons I guess that we would end up amputating a leg would be more along the serious trauma side of thing rather than the cancer. Um, ah. cancer aspect, which we don't necessarily see so much of. I think um, I've never practiced in, in areas with big um, Rottweiler um, populations, for example, who are really prone to kind of bone tumors. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's something that a lot of people will accept as a, an option more readily after a traumatic event, so be that a, a broken leg or some really severe um, skin injuries, um, degloving injuries, um, you know, mm-hmm. road traffic accidents, that kind of thing. I think people are a lot more accepting of of the need to amputate compared to to tumors, um, yeah, so I guess that's that's my experience, but I think generally owners will be more than happy with that option. After kind of discussing, you know, the different aspects of the disease, if it, in the case of cancer or the different options, surgical options in the case of of traumatic injuries, um, and some people come to that decision, you know, very easily. Um, others, understandably, you know, it takes a lot of thinking, wondering what life's going to be like, you know, after that big surgery. It's it's a lot to get our heads around as an owner, mm-hmm. um, and there are often lots of questions that need asking, and 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 well, I wouldn't say guarantees to be given, but that, that kind of guarantees that. that quality of life is at the forefront of our of our decision making and you know ultimately the vast majority of people you know do end up opting for that um amputation when it's appropriate um you know after appropriate questions and support to help them make that decision
2: that is really great to hear so it does sound like there's a a growing acceptance that yeah it is okay for for an animal to be happy on three legs they they can enjoy life. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, what about larger breeds of of dogs? Um, is that something that people are, are afraid of doing, or, or are they accepting of, like, say, a Great Dane losing a leg? Uh,
1: yes, I think there probably is a degree of greater degree of caution in in our big dogs. I mean, a lot of them might have. You know, certainly when it comes to cancer and that kind of thing, they might have arthritis, arthritic changes already. Um and I I guess it's it's a case of you know it's not a decision that is going to be appropriate for absolutely every single individual. So it's it's assessing mm-hmm. it's assessing the pros, you know, the, the the likely kind of comfortable, active lifestyle kind of after after that surgery or, or if a patient is already, you know, really struggling on their on their legs then, you know, it might not be the, the, the best decision. Um, going forward so yeah I think there is a, a concern with bigger dogs especially there's a I think an increasing awareness of, of arthritis and all that kind of thing as our pets age that that message mm-hmm. is getting out there and and yeah that's something that I guess is is a concern for some people but we've always got to think of you know what's the alternative and sometimes you know the alternative is is to to call things a day and to to, to euthanize our pets and that 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 is appropriate depending on the problem but but equally Amputation, in my opinion and in my experience, often you know leads to a, a great quality of life and, and a great ongoing quality of life afterwards.
2: That that is great to hear. It's um, it's and cats and dogs the same the world over. You know, yeah, <laughs> they, absolutely. They yeah, face the same challenges, and so do their parents. It's really great to hear. Um, so let's let's talk about amputation recovery because I'm sure you've seen your yeah. fair share of them. Yeah. Absolutely, um, yeah. What, so some of the common problems that we see, I'm sure your clients see as well, but it includes um, dealing with a lack of appetite. You know, the animal does not want to eat when they're on pain medication and yeah. and trying to heal. And then that brings up the subject of pain medications during recovery. Um, cool. Can you share your best tips that you give to your clients for managing appetite and pain management after surgery?
1: yeah so I mean pain management is a huge topic isn't it and I think if we look mm-hmm. back at the kind of dark distant days in the past you know where we thought you know in, in, as a whole, that you know cats didn't really need painkillers after surgery yeah. and you know and dogs well you know they could have a shot or a couple of tablets and they you know and they just get on with it we're, we're thankfully we're we're in a situation Scary. where we've got a lot yeah it's just, it's, a, it's horrible to think back isn't it but you know we didn't mm-hmm. you know, I guess we didn't know any better if you like um, but there's there's so many different options, but there's no one size fits all solution. So what we give to one one patient might be you know not enough to keep another patient comfortable, or it might be you know too much and cause some of these other problems. So be that a lack of appetite and you know a bit of sedation or or um, tummy upsets and that kind of thing. So really, that's, it's not a one size fits all. Um, I'm uh, I'm a big fan of keeping my patients in the hospital for. You know, for a few days, maybe after after any big surgery like that, certainly 24 to 36 hours is kind of a minimum just so that I can be sure that um, the the injectable drugs that I've given, they're kind of wearing off We we can see what kind of results our our oral drugs are having. So we can get an idea of what our our patient's going to be like when they get home. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something is to, to not kind of rush rush your pet back home it's you know we all want to have them back you know back at home where we can look after them you know it's it's a less stressful environment for our pets to be in their home environment but um you know kind of accepting and taking on your vet's advice and not trying to rush them back and then just ongoing to work closely with your vet so if you think you're pet is painful you know if they're they're not moving well or if they seem overly sedated or if they feel a bit nauseous um you know maybe they're being sick or something just to to really keep in close touch with your vet because it might be that an additional painkiller is needed it might be that uh, there's a change that needs to be made or dose adjustments and that kind of thing so you know really just working together um and, and coming up with the best strategy for you know for your individual um yeah, your individual pet. Um, when it comes to kind of appetite and things, I mean, that's a big thing. It's a big surgery, isn't it? There's no no ways of oh, glossing yeah. over the fact that it is a big surgery. You know, that it, it's it's not something that you'd expect them to recover overnight, though. I mean, in my experience, it's amazing how quickly, you know, our dogs and cats do recover. If you think of it uh, yeah. yourself being in that situation, you know, you'd be laid <laughs> up in bed for months probably, wouldn't you? So
2: Absolutely. Um, you,
1: yeah, so it is amazing, but there's definitely things that we can do from a from an appetite point of view. We can, you know, warm up some food. We can use stronger smelling food. So a lot of our our dogs and our cats, especially, they're really um, their appetite's really heavily involved with the sense of smell. So if they can smell something tasty, that you know, that really can kickstart things. We can hand feed. That can help. Um, we can use kind of recovery diets that are really high calorie and palatable. So. You know, I like to say a mouthful of that is worth two or three mouthfuls of something else. So, you know, if they're taking Mm -hmm. in a little bit less, they're still getting in a reasonable amount of nutrition. Um, And I guess going for for our cats, one important thing to avoid is um, something called food aversion. So if you've got a sick cat and they don't want to eat, if you just stick... Their food in front of them and leave it there. Then that's going to just really put them off ever eating that food again. Potentially, ah. um, so they just get that real aversion, aversion to what's in front of them. So just trying, you know, warming it up, trying hand feed. But if if they're not taking it on board, then just actually taking all food away for a couple of hours before starting again. You know, you don't want to be trying to force it in their face or um, syringe feeding them. Ideally, is not ideal. Um, if we can get away without doing that, so that's something you know to to bear in mind for our for our cats. Um, Yeah, that way. And I guess another thing I I want to say about pain um, pain control is actually there's lots of other things that we can do as well as drugs. So drugs are fantastic. You know, painkillers do an amazing job, but... Doing things like um, having rugs down on slippy floors so that our pets aren't falling over. You know, it's good after any surgery when there's a degree of you know imbalance or weakness. But
0: mm-hmm. certainly
1: adapting to life on three legs, um, you know, it does take a little bit of getting used to, building up strength in that other leg, getting used to balancing. So we want to avoid falls if we can. We want nice soft bedding, beds that you know, our pets can easily get into without tripping and falling, you know, maybe ramps going up some stairs or, or to get into the car, that kind of thing, especially with big dogs, you know, we don't want to be um, damaging ourselves trying to get our, you know, our pet back home. So, you know, ramps and that kind of thing are, are, are good investments at the very early stages and something that, you know, we'll, we'll have use later on as, as our as our three-legged pets age. So, you know, they'll they'll become, you know, stay useful for a long period of time
2: yeah you know that that uh, is a subject we'll definitely talk about in a bit but it it's remarkable how much of the things that you recommend doing for a, a new three legged animal are the same kinds of things we would do for any four legged animal when they become a senior um, oh absolutely so it's, yeah yeah some like practice before you actually get there
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well exactly you know so it it's it's a big it's a big jump in our mind and it's a big transition, and I think those things that we need to be aware of and perhaps you know hyper aware of with a three legged a three legged dog or cat but they're yeah you know, like you say they're exactly the same things for a senior dog you know with that they're the same concerns that we have so it's just being being aware of those problems and being aware that they may happy just happen at a slightly you know younger age or an earlier time potentially so yeah
2: yeah, definitely. And arthritis is one of them and I know I didn't have this in my question list for you, but um you know, you are are big on arthritis awareness. And yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that about your website because you know, most of us don't think about that until it's too late, until the signs are so obvious.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah.
2: I was really, a big frustration.
1: Yeah, it's a big frustration I have. Um as a vet, when we get, sort of get a client come in and, you know, their older dog or their older cat, they're a little bit stiff and sore and they're clearly sore and they're clearly struggling, but we're just accepting that as a normal kind of old age change. You know, old dogs, they're a bit stiff getting up in the morning or, you know, a cat's become a bit withdrawn and a bit matted, but, but yeah, really they're, they're painful and there's no reason that they should be in pain. So it's, it's very frustrating when, you know, our pets are telling us, telling us they're sore and we're not acting on
2: that information. Yeah, exactly. And just because they can't tell us in our own language, um, doesn't mean we can't try to learn theirs because that's exactly. all they yeah. have. Yeah, and, yeah, that's um, all they
1: have. But they let they let us know very clearly if we know what to look for.
2: Yeah, and actually, so much of of the signs of arthritis are similar to what um, it looks like when a tripod has done too much activity, whether it's like right mm. after surgery and they're recuperating or um, months or even years later, um, what are some of the signs we should be aware of that, let's say, our, our new tripod is is getting too much activity for their own good?
1: Um, so I guess if they're getting too much activity, then we'll often see... Um, a, a stiffness uh, uh, the next day, or after they've been lying down for a period of time, they might be struggling, you know, struggling to get up. They might be, you know, slipping around a bit more unsteady. Uh, it can be quite difficult to interpret limping in the three leggeds. Yeah. Animal, obviously. You know? so that that can be something that that can be quite quite a struggle, and will be an in uh, individual changes. But if you're aware, certainly, you know, after they've they've had their amputation, you know, for some time, then you're going to be aware of how they move, and and just being aware of any changes, any changes in that. But other things they might just. Be withdrawn. So if they're worried that they're going to be hurt, if they're touched or if they're knocked, then they're going to try and avoid those situations. So our pets um, are very good at, at trying to avoid becoming sore or, or being hurt. So they kind of take themselves away. They might, I mean, even they might growl or they might, um, you know, hiss in the case of a cat if if they're really sore. Um, that kind of thing. They might start licking over one particular area so just like we would rub a saw you know saw patch they they kind of lick that so you might notice Mm. that they're just focused on one area um yeah so those kinds of things i guess we want to be yeah we want to be aware of
2: and and you have a great educational campaign for new subscribers to your website don't you about arthritis can you tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah absolutely so i've kind of tried to break down kind of arthritis is a huge it's a huge topic obviously you know it's got it's got the whole you know what causes it what are the signs of it what are the different treatments we can use and it's certainly not just painkillers it's some of the other things we've you know we've just discussed kind of changes to their management exercise um, what supplements we need you know are are appropriate um, how we monitor it there's a huge topic so I've tried to break that down into a little kind of free course that just goes through each of those in kind of bite-sized pieces just to give give us an idea of the kinds of things that we should be thinking about and the kinds of questions we should be asking our vets or the kinds of things that we should be expecting our vets to talk to us about just so that we can can try and come up with a really individually tailored plan to try, you know, and keep our, our senior pets or our pets with arthritis for whatever reason, just to try and keep them as happy as we as we can and as pain free as we can, and and monitor their progress, you know, as they go forward. Because, yeah, it's a, it's a um, progressive condition, arthritis. It will get worse, but. You know, we if we react to that, if we know what to look for, and we react to it accordingly, then then there's no reason that our arthritic patients and our senior patients can't you know be pain free and happy you know long into their senior years. So yeah, that's only something that that, that I offer. That's just a wee, yeah free email course there.
2: Yeah, we'll be sure to include a link to that um, where people can sign up when we um, blog about this discussion we're having today. Right. Um, I have lots of links from your website. I want to share with people. <laughs> It's it's a great website. Um, and, and so speaking of arthritis and pain management and all that, I'm going to jump ahead yep. real quick too, to supplements. Um, pet supplements yep. is a huge topic, and, boy, Absolutely. I know you have yeah. a lot to say about it, <laughs> a lot. So, so let's yep. get started on that. Um, let's talk about some of your, your favorite three supplements, say, for example, for cats and dogs, and um, some of your tips for finding high-quality supplements, something that we're not going to throw our money away at. How do, how do we do that?
1: Yeah, so it's tricky, isn't it? And like you say, it's uh-huh. a huge, huge topic and it's easy to be just completely bombarded and, and left completely confused when you go to the health shop or or whatever. So um, I'm a big believer in, in listening to the evidence behind a treatment and that's, you know, with whatever. And there are some things that we've got fantastic evidence for. We've got some things that actually have been shown not to really make any difference at all. And other things where you know the evidence just isn't there and it might be that it's a great supplement but we can't we can't prove that and we don't have any proof of that so for me um Fish oils are a big thing, so our um, omega essential fatty acids are really important. Um, they, they've been shown time and, again, to have great anti-inflammatory properties to help our arthritic um, our arthritic painful, painful patients. So, you know, they're also something that is generally very easy to give. They're pretty palatable. They're not expensive. You know, they're readily available everywhere. So that's something that I, yeah, it, it is often kind of my go-to first supplement. It's also got, as, as well as joints, it's got great... Um, effects on the skin so it can help with um, itchy dogs or just with dry kind of flaky coats that kind of thing and um kind of talking about senior pets as well it really does help with brain function and has been shown to to help in some cases with senility and dementia and that kind wow. of thing so yeah fish oils I guess is number one you know we're advised to take them in a lot of cases so yeah I think that, that that's great um, mm-hmm. the next thing certainly thinking of arthritic pets is um, our therapeutic joint diets have also got some great evidence behind them. They maybe fall into the same kind of category as our fish oils because they've got this added omega fatty acids, but they've also got other things in them to help Um, keep our pets a good weight, so to help stop them gaining weight and becoming obese, to help them maintain their muscle mass, um, you know, and burn off any excess fat and that kind of thing. So, you know, I'm kind of quite a fan of of those. And then, I guess at number three is our glucosamine and chondroitin supplements. So they're probably our most okay. common ones that people think about when they think of kind of joint supplements. Um, and I, I'll throw in the green lip muscle kind of products as well. Um, a lot of those actually ah. come from New Zealand. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of close close to that source. But they, there again, they're a good source of um, omega fatty acids and glucosamine and chondroitin. Now, it, you know, it's an interesting one. People think of those as often the be-all and end-all with, with supplements for, for joint disease Mm-hmm. the actual evidence behind them is a little bit mixed so i think we can be we can have a moderate level of confidence that they actually do a good job and so they do work but i think a lot of the time people really overstate how well they work and how much they do. And I guess going back to kind of my frustration with, with people with early arthritic pets, especially, is that oftentimes they'll say, oh yeah, I'm, you know, they're on, they're on a glucosamine supplement and, you know, and, and I'm happy and that's, you know, so I'm doing something and and we'll leave it at that rather than saying, well, actually they're not doing, you know, everything that they need to be doing um, and there's more that can, can be given. Um, yeah, so I guess those would be my top three. One that kind of I'm keeping a close eye on, and I think a lot of people are, is um, the CBD oil as well. That's becoming, you know, very popular and it's becoming more readily available.
2: In Again, New Zealand too, huh? <laughs> no,
1: no, well, not in New Zealand. So, no, we don't have that. But, you know, being, like you say, it's, it. a, it's an in, it's an international world online. So I'm certainly aware of that. And, <laughs> and that's something I've, okay. I've had that question asked to me. Um there, there's not a lot of data at the moment. There has just been um, recently a good study looking at CBD oil in in arthritic um, arthritic dogs, and actually it was quite a positive um, a positive uh, result. So it's definitely something where you know a single study doesn't you know doesn't necessarily mean that that's the, the be all and end all and that is the answer, but yeah the results are encouraging so i guess watch this space and that might be something that we're reaching for more and more you know as Mm -hmm. it becomes you know legal and available in different areas so you know maybe that would be that might be my fourth fourth supplement to think about um as for finding supplements you know that's you know if you if you decide what you want to give how do you know it's any good the the, the choice you're making And, and i've certainly seen investigations where you've got a lot of you know the, the top brands and they'll say you know blood cost mean for example and they will compare the amount that they claim is in the product to the amount that's actually there and there's huge discrepancies so mm-hmm. you know it's really it's, it's impossible to to know every single every single product out there so as a general rule I, I i say don't shop based on price alone you generally as with most things in life you get what you pay for um, so if something's, you know, super cheap, then there's going to be a reason for that. Um, mm-hmm. I'd ask you about which products they recommend. Um, we certainly, you know, only stock products that we're, you know, more comfortable with or, you know, we will only make recommendations of products that we're more comfortable with. Um, I'd stay stick to well-known brands that you already trust. You know, if there's something that you're already using that, that's a trustworthy, well-known brand, then that's great. And avoid kind of online-only products. You know, it's one thing buying things online because you can get them, you know, cheaper than than in the shop. But if it's only available online, again, I'd have my... Concerns about, you know, its source and, and claims and all that kind of thing and how it's processed. So, yeah, I guess those would be mm-hmm. some tips to to think about when, when you're deciding which actual product to get.
2: Wow. So what about uh, pet versus people supplements? You know, a lot of people say, well, I can get fish oil for myself and it costs less than the stuff on the shelf at the pet food store. So why shouldn't I just use the one for humans? Um, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Um, I think a lot of the time, with a lot of supplements, there's probably very little difference, and the difference might be just it's got a dog or a cat on the on the um, on the sticker, <laughs> and they charge uh-huh. a premium for that. Um, we do need to be careful, you know, if we're talking about supplements as a whole, there will be different things that we need to be aware of. So, some, for example, fish oil, human fish oils will contain xylitol which is a sweetener, really? which makes it more, yeah, which will make it more palatable to, to us. But xylitol is incredibly toxic to um, to dogs and cats. So, you know, we definitely should be avoiding things like that. Or or some fish oils will have added um, vitamins and actually to such an extent that that, that can be quite dangerous as well. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that really goes back to, you know, talking to your vets and seeing which products they, they, they recommend, because it's definitely not always the case that one product is the same as the other. Um, if we're talking about, you know, just the glucosamine chondroitin, if that's all that's in there, or if our fish oils and that's all that's in there with no supplement, with no, you know, nothing added, then mm-hmm. there's probably very little difference. But yeah, I would always be, be talking to your vets. And, and I guess if you're using a, a, a pet-specific product, then you can be fairly safe in the knowledge that, that you know that is likely to be safe if it's something that is a, a kind of a mainstream and recommended product compared to some of the human ones. Because like I say, there's so many different brands out there. So if, if someone asks me, well, what's this brand like, I in all likelihood won't have a clue because there's just so many. You know, uh-huh. you can't keep, can't keep track of them all
2: yeah and and I really love the recommendation to talk to you vet because you have your own pets and you are only going to give your pets stuff that you feel comfortable giving them, so same for your clients and and well we, absolutely
1: and you know we um yeah we put i think as vets we put a lot of ourselves into into our job and you know we do our best for our for our for our clients you know and our patients uh, it's really important that we're recommending things that we believe in um and yeah and very you know that's that's going to be the case in the vast majority of cases so you know ultimately we'll only have you know our patients best interests you know at the forefront of our minds so yeah that's where all our recommendations would come from really
2: very good to know. And as far as the results go, are there, like, you know, what kind of time frame? Let's say we have a slightly arthritic dog like mine. Yeah. He's nine years old, getting up in age. And, you know, yeah. if I just started him on a new supplement for arthritis. Yeah. How yeah. soon could I expect to see results? Or would other things play into that? Like, say, you know, I don't know, different type of exercise or little, you know, less exercise yeah, so or something.
1: It's, it's difficult, isn't it? So we... Mm-hmm. We'll often make lots of different changes at the same time, so it's difficult to know which one's doing, you know, which one's responsible for any improvement that we see. I think with with supplements, really, we're talking months. It's going to take two or three months probably to see... A significant difference we might start to see something within a month but yeah it's it's really a long term you know a long-term plan rather than a short-term fix with our supplements so it's something again that's another reason to start things earlier rather than later because it's going to be you know up and running in the system when it's when it's needed so yeah it does take a lot longer if we're, if we're changing exercise regimes and that kind of thing then we're going to see the results um, sooner it's still going to take time for, you know, muscles to adapt and, and that kind of thing, you know, weight to come off or what have you, but um, we're going to see changes, yeah, changes sooner. But, but unless we're giving, I guess, pharmaceuticals, then often changes Mm -hmm. happen in a, in a, you know, it's progress is slow, slow and steady. um, Yeah. Rather than really, really rapid.
2: Mm -hmm. So we just need to be on top of it before it gets so bad that, you know, we need it to happen right away. And,
1: yeah, absolutely, and and but you know it's difficult to assess our pets as well. There's been you know if we think of placebo in us, you know how do you know something's really you know really working well? Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same for our pets. It's um, something called caregiver placebo, and and vets are just as guilty of this as owners. You know we're really invested into. Into our pet being comfortable, into our pet being healthy, and so we give something, and we really want it to work, and so we see an improvement. And, and yeah, like I say, vets are just as guilty. Um, so it's it's to try and be subjective, to try and you know take measure, you know measure, you know how happy you think they are, or you know on a one to ten scale, how well are they moving, that kind of thing, just to see if it is making a difference. But it's yeah, it's challenging, especially when the progress is slow over you know a long period of time.
2: Caregiver placebo. Have you talked about that on your blog yet?
1: Yes, I have actually, yeah. You have.
2: Okay, we're going to point people to that topic because that is a really interesting idea. Um, And that kind of leads us to our our last topic here because we did have just a few minutes and I I wish we had longer. But let's let's talk about helping our pets as they age. Um, That is a huge deal. And now that our pets are living longer thanks to great Input from vets like you, helping us and guiding us through their their life with us. Um, talk to us about some of the the highlights of the kinds of things you suggest to people about helping their pets age with dignity and and just being able to enjoy life.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess quality of life really is the is the driving factor behind any decisions that we we should make with our with our pets care you know regardless of what age they are but especially as they become you know become older they become senior and and they start to you know potentially struggle with some of the challenges that brings so you know just our quality of life just means we need to answer the questions you know are they happy um what are they struggling with you know how can we help them best cope with whatever challenges that they're facing um just so that they can yeah, be be full kind of full leave full happy lives and be fully integrated with the family so you know Pain is a big thing and we've kind of already discussed a lot about that. But just being proactive is really important, being aware of the being aware of what we're looking for, um, what changes might happen and jumping on them when they do happen. But, you know, we try and keep them as it's, it's one thing kind of treating conditions as they come along. The other factor is trying to keep them healthy in the first place. So it's not rocket science really, it's kind of keeping a healthy weight. Again, it's the same as, as, as any aged dog but keeping them a healthy weight is going to make a big difference. And actually for our arthritic dogs, going back to that, I would say one of the biggest treatments that we can give is weight loss. You know, it's not something, unfortunately, that's very easy or that we can give in a pill. But if we can, you know, get to a healthy weight, that makes probably more difference than, than anything else that we can do. Um, for our senior dogs, we can give them a diet that's appropriate for their age. So, you know, their, their energy requirements are different. Um, their um, protein requirements, their, their um, yeah, nutrient requirements are all different. So just giving them a, a, an age-appropriate diet paying attention to dental hygiene. So ideally, that's something that, again, that we do throughout their life so that they have nice, clean teeth. They don't have, you know, horrible, these horrible sewer mouths with rotting teeth. Yeah. And we're in a situation where our pets have got this chronic inflammation going on in their mouth that then knocks have knock-on effects to their kidneys or their liver or their heart and just general body health. So, you know, that's something that's really important. Or we're left in a situation where we've got a really senior dog or cat who's already then got kidney disease or diabetes or whatever, and we're left in a situation where we need to anesthetize them and remove teeth because they're causing significant concerns. So, yeah, that's something else. Um, not ignoring any minor issues. So just like the pain, if there's something that's starting to develop, then jumping on that, investigating that um, at the earliest stages rather than leaving it till we get to a crisis point. Um, and just really keeping in regular touch with your vet. So we do, you know, we generally recommend annual health checks, you know, maybe that's with revaccination, depending on, on what the the schedule is. Um, but that health check is really important. And, and in senior dogs, there's certainly an argument for doing it every six months. If we think, you know, that our, our dogs, have, it's, you know, seven years, seven years of our life is one year of a dog's life. So if we think of six monthly checks, that's only really every us going to the doctor every three and a half years. So, you know, that doesn't ah. sound... You know, that doesn't sound too excessive if we think of it like that. So a lot of change can happen, in you know, in a relatively short period of time. So, you know, that's something to think about as well. Um, and then, you know, another thing for our senior senior pets, is actually their their mental engagement and how well they're interacting with the family how you know what their mental um, ability is and and that's something a drop-off that we see in a lot of old dogs and cats so we definitely are recognizing more and more senility and dementia in our old pets like you say they're getting older and they're getting exactly the same challenges that, that we're getting in our old age um And so, to try and kind of stimulate their brain function and keep them going and keep them active, and that you know we can use puzzle toys, we can use um puzzle feeders like balls that are full of full of their food, and they have to mm-hmm. you know knock it around to get their food. We can teach them new tricks, so we can teach old dogs new tricks it might take a little bit longer and they maybe shouldn't be so complex, but you know, just spending time interacting with them, trying to teach them new things is, is really great. Um, And then again, knowing the signs of senility and dementia to look out for so that we can jump on that sooner, sooner rather than later. Um, And then just being patient with them, you know, their eyesight might be going, their hearing might be going. So just being aware it might take them longer to respond. Don't get angry with them. Don't exclude them because they're seemingly not responding. Um, You know, just try and, try and keep that engagement with them is really important.
2: I I couldn't agree more as I sit here looking at my 9-year-old German shepherd with his <laughs> gray face and yeah. you know it's hard because jobs. they can't do those physical things that they used to do and especially for a tripod it tends to happen a lot sooner in life and mm. so yeah. you know what we tell people is you have to rethink your activities, you know, it's yeah. not just about walking or throwing a ball now. It's, it's about a lot more than that. It's about engaging and, and communicating with your, your dog or cat and, and just doing things that are within their capabilities. Um, and and yeah, of absolutely. course, that is the best way to know what those capabilities are yeah but
1: in in a way but also we rely so much on what our our clients are telling us about their pet cuz you know as owners we know more we know more about what our pets life is like than than your vet can ever know because, you know, True, it's missing yeah. a tiny snapshot. So it's, yeah, it's definitely having that discussion, but being aware of the things. And like you say, adapting to their needs and adapting your lifestyle to their needs as well. So if, you're, if you've always gone for a run with your dog, but they're not able to do that or they're struggling with that, it's not just a case of, well, you go for your run and, you know, dog stays at home. It's a case mm-hmm. of, you know, adapting your exercise so that they could still have that stimulation of being out. You can still have that companionship. It's, you know, things just change. So they, yeah the interaction is maybe different but we're still getting that same you know that same relationship the same stimulation um you know that they deserve really I and mean, we should be looking after them in their old age you know they, they give us so much and they bring so much to our lives it's you know it's our job to 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 kind of repay the favor really
2: yeah it is they they don't ask for much and it's, no. it's the least no. we can do yeah well um dr alex it you are a fantastic guest you have so much insight, and we really, really appreciate you being here. Um, I, I love your website. I plan on, on spreading the word as much as we can, and um, I just uh, can't thank you enough for, for educating all of us pet parents out there. Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, no problems at all. Well, thanks for everything you do. I mean, I've certainly, yeah, since I've discovered tripods, I've been yeah, pointing people in your direction as well. It's fantastic for for owners to have that resource there of people who have been in you know been in that situation because there's no substitute for experience so if we can you know have stories of people who have struggled with the same things and 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 a, a friendly ear to who will listen to us you know that's that's so important with um you know with challenges that we might face as pet owners.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for that, Dr. Alex. This has been very informative. Listeners can learn more about your work and the many resources you offer at OurPetsHealth.com. For many other tips to help pet parents through the entire tripod journey, please join the discussion at Tripods.com. Next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for two-legged dogs at (laughs) tripods.com.